0: Hi, this is Alan Clark of the Hollies and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast.
1: History in five songs with host Martin Popov. A production of Pantheon Podcasts.
0: Let's rock out with Martin. Hello once again. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Media, pleased as always to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. Okay, so this episode, uh, number 39, we are calling... Hard Rock Shark Jumpers. I know it's a mouthful, um, but uh, yes, everything we're going to talk about in this episode uh, pretty much coincidentally uh, occurs between the years of 1980 and 1989. and this is kind of cool because I was there, I'm going to be able to give you the, um, you know, the, the boots on the ground uh, reaction uh, from fans about these uh, these uh, shark jumpings, I'm going to explain what that means in a second, um, from one album to the next for these five different bands. Um, you know, what the press was thinking, uh, all of that good stuff. Um, but yeah, why why are we calling this Hard Rock Shark Jumper? So uh, being old as dirt, I even remember uh, the, the episode of Happy Days, first episode of their fifth season back in September 20th, 1977, when uh, the fawns, um and they use this to actually show henry winkler's uh, actual uh water skiing skills um he he donned his leather jacket and went out and uh, and water skied and jumped over a shark uh in the episode now why is this uh why is this important well the whole idea is that the idea of jumping the shark i know it's a very strange term but but we do use it all the time but we don't kind of remember where it came from the the idea is that um you know something's getting old. Something's getting tired. You uh, you basically um, are looking for a way to uh, to make something exciting that probably should uh, should go away at this point. Um, so uh, you know they're looking to spruce up this season when uh, of this show uh, when perhaps it's almost time to knock uh, the show on its head. I e the way you know Modern Family ended after so many years, etc. So, uh, it, every one of these is going to be a little bit different. And this, I also find fascinating in, in the, uh, the case studies we're going to talk about here. Um, but, um, but yeah, every one of them is a little bit, uh, different. It, it includes some of the elements of this idea of jumping the shark, uh, from others and, uh, and some were still successful sort of second, second wave albums, um, that came out of this idea, some of them were not so successful. So let's look at these, uh, let's look at these examples of this. And, uh, and if I remember, I, I, I made a point, I, I want to try to tell you where these bands were in September 20th of 1977 when the Fonz was jumping the shark. Okay, so for our very first example of this, um, let's take a listen to this and we'll discuss. This is ACDC with Breaking the Rules from For Those About To Rock, We Salute You. Okay, so why are we talking about ACDC? So here's what happened. So... It's funny. Yesterday I was, uh, I was, uh, walking to the office and listening to New Order and thinking, you know, the the death of your lead singer really, really does a lot for a band because this is pretty boring stuff, New Order. I, I actually was pretty unimpressed. It's a band I never paid much attention to. Um, but essentially it sounded like a, a weak tea version of Joy Division. Um, but ACDC, uh, is a band that, um, you know, I was, I was right there watching all this happen and it's, it's quite amazing that, um, they were already big buzz band when Bon Scott died. Um, you know, Highway to Hell was was a big record, but they were just on the verge of something even bigger. And it's quite amazing that when um, when Brian Brian Johnson, Scottish or New, Newcastle, sorry, joined the band, um, he uh, he he was embraced right away Um there wasn't a lot of complaints about him. People liked him. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to fill this fill the shoes of a lead singer. But anyways, so Back in Black comes out and it starts selling and keeps selling and keeps selling and keeps selling and, keeps selling and ACDC's getting to be a massive band. So what did they do? Um, essentially, they put out this record for those about to rock, which in, you know, certain ways with certain dynamics, jumps the shark. I remember, so literally... Uh, back in Black comes out July 20th, twenty fifth, nineteen eighty, November twenty third, nineteen eighty one, which so is barely a year later. They come back with another album. What is the problem with this album? Well, a few different things. This is one of the cases here that we're going to talk about that there is a little bit of that fan uh, jealousy, that that sort of bad trait that um, you know we had as kids. You know, people tend to have sometimes when their favorite pet bands that they followed all along. I remember my first ACDC new release was uh, Let There Be Rock, 1977, a Canadian copy bought in Winnipeg. Um, but when when your band uh, becomes everybody's band. So sometimes people go through this. I mean, I I was pretty good at not acting this way, but I think probably with AC/DC there was a little bit of jealousy in there that they were this massive band. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is, is they come out with this record that is like... So Mutt Lang is back producing. So here we are. We're going to try to do this again. So a lot of the jumping the shark that you're going to hear in this episode really has more to do with, oh, let's just repeat what we did last time. And so so kind of like a like zero creativity, zero bravery sort of thing. This is a lot different from Fleetwood Mac moving from Fleetwood Mac into, into Rumors, which are similar albums, but then into the double album Tusk, which is very different. That is creative ba- bravery uh, and not jumping the shark, right? Um, so essentially, Mutt Lang is back. The album cover is this this kind of brown coppery thing. You go, oh, brown copper, what's that got to do with metal? It's just got this stupid looking cannon on it. The, the uh, title is annoying for those about to rock. You know, a bunch of boring words put together. And then... And then the the title continues on the back cover, so it's annoying you in that way. It's their first gatefold, so you're saying, oh, aren't ACDC hoity-toity now? They have a gatefold. It's embossed again, just like the previous album cover was was embossed. But the worst thing for us as fans, and I totally remember this, and the reviews were sort of similar, the same way. um, It had too many kind of weird poppy riffs on it that had kind of this twisty Celtic thing on it this kind of thing ACDC would do a little bit in the 90s as well and there were a lot of slow songs on it and even this you know the song that's supposed to be the greatest song on the whole thing the title track Uh, it, it is, you know, it's, it's a little bit brave of construction, but it is slow. And even the payoff of it is not that great. So when it picks up and the cannons are going off and they're talking about how heavy we are and all this stuff, they're not very heavy. That's the problem. So, you know, bear in mind, this is in the middle of the new wave of British heavy metal. You know, we are all rabid for heavier and heavier metal. Iron Maiden had Iron Maiden out. Now they're putting out killers. You know, Raven is out there. Motorheads kicking ass. You got tank, um, So basically... um ACDC is and they and they put out this album that even the production on it is a little bit softer, you know, that the the ride cymbals kind of ring longer and ring super high fidelity. The bass is really comfy like a like a big pillow. Whereas on Back in Black, you know, it's it's a pretty corporate production as well. Um, but it had a little more bite to it, a little more distortion, a little more a little more screech in the mid-range. Um, but this time it just sounded really plush and cor- corporate the band sounded tired you know the metaphor for sounding tired in a band is when you have too many slow songs and slow passages and you hear that in this song that we played breaking the rules you know one of the b tracks i wanted to play something that that you just go you know you know it, it just sounds crappy right um but there are other songs on this that are just not that great as well so we've got yeah, snowballed. Night of the Long Knives is a little annoying. Inject of Venom. Let's get it up. So you've, you've got the sexual double entendres again, but, you know, it just doesn't feel as fresh or as funny as it did first time around. COD, of the Devil, you know? So here we are. There are there already are satanic bands out here in ACDC. You, you know, it felt like they were kind of like, oh, aren't we aren't we scary? Aren't we evil? Evil walks. There we go again. Um. So, you know, th- they're sounding tough. They're sounding even tougher than they did on, back in black, but the album doesn't back it up. It's not as tough. So, um, now, in the sales end of things, actually, let me let me let me mention this because I I did say you know where what was I gonna you know where was ACDC when Fawns was jumping the shark? 1977, they had just put out Let There Be Rock. They were doing anything but jumping the shark. They were being creative, uh, they were being super heavy. Like that album was way heavier than the than the first two or three. It's a long story, it's complicated. Uh, but it it was a really really heavy album than anything ACDC had done previous. Um, the sales end of things, okay, so we have um you know back in black is selling like crazy but it's only a year later so it is essentially around um you know the the uh, at at uh, uh it's probably around double platinum by the time this album comes out platinum double platinum um You know, it it eventually sells like 25 million copies. It's one of the top, I think, five or six greatest selling uh, albums of all time. And it's awesome that it's an ACDC album that is doing that. Um, So so 25 times platinum. uh, And for those about to rock, gets to four times platinum, which is pretty darn good i mean it's uh it's still a lot of copies being sold of an album but even even like i say even there it's a sales um you know breakdown as well now there's a lot of weird stuff going on at this point i remember uh interviewing their manager michael brown about how um you know acdc or um dirty deeds dunder cheap was rushed out and there was all this confusion like like what is this is the old lead singer what's going on here Super old album, sounds really old, but that that helped the sales of both Back in Black, it helped the sales of itself, Dirty Deeds, and it also helped the sales of, uh, of For Those About to Rock. So you had this archival record being reissued in the States for the very first time, uh, at the same time, uh, confusing everybody. MTV starting at this time. There's lots of stuff going on. So essentially, um, you know, for those about to rock is four times platinum. It was two times platinum by 1984. So obviously, it wasn't selling that fast. In three years, it had only sold uh, two million copies in the states. So it sort of stopped. And and the four times platinum designation is uh, is way up into 2001. So there you go. ACDC really annoyed the heck out of us. But just to put a pin in it or a or a an endpoint on it. The fans, the heavy metal fans, the headbangers, myself included, love Flick of the Switch. I think that's an awesome album. I think it was a great return to form uh, after for those about to rock. Okay, moving on. Our number two, History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, episode 39, Hard Rock, Shark Jumpers. This is Quiet Riot with Stomp Your Hands, Clap Your Feet.
1: Turn it up
0: All right, so the Quiet Riot story, where were they in 1977? Oddly enough, um, they actually had a record out uh, when Fonz was uh, jumping the shark. Um, they had this uh, this first of their two really horrible records out in Japan with their Sony deal in Japan. These records never saw the light of day in America. But... Um, Up into July 27th, 1984, they put out their second album, Condition Critical. Now, why are we talking about Quiet Riot? So Quiet Riot was a totally, totally different band when they put out Metal Health in 1983. They're considered one of the very first hair bands of all time. They obviously had paid their dues to get here. They had some lineup changes. Um, But, you know, they have this big hit with the Slade cover, Come On, Feel The Noise. Uh, Kevin Dubrow has this great shouty voice, but he's kind of gangly looking and he's losing his hair and stuff. But so, so, uh, literally within, I, again, a year later, just a little over a year, um, because Metal Health came out March 11th, 1983, they come out with a second album, um, Condition Critical. Now, at this point, uh, how and why are they jumping the shark? So again, it's a case of, um, you know, a lack of creative vision or creative, uh, um, bravery, uh, they bring back the guy and there's their, you know, their, um, their, uh, what is it? What are those things called? Straight jackets, uh, with the mask, you know, their, their mascot is back. So he's on the cover again. So it looks exactly like metal health. Um, and you know very annoyingly uh they also give us another slade cover in mama we're all crazy now now it does what it's supposed to do it allows them to eat it allows the record to sell well um basically uh but but it is annoying um they uh you know it the, the cool thing about the record is it actually pretty much instantly goes platinum so they do quite well with this record um and again, it is because of Mama, we're all crazy now. So so, you know, you can't really fault them for that. But I played you this song stomp your hands, clap your feet cuz it's a super crazy annoying annoying song just like phoned in, but it's it's literally written. It's quite right riot writing like Slade. And of course, Kevin has the same sort of um Voice as a naughty holder. I think naughty's the the, the vocalist. Um, but anyways, uh, so it's a song that's even written to sound like Slade. So that's that's another form of jumping the shark here. It's it's produced to sound the same way with that same Pasha sound. Um, but yeah, Metal Health. Just to just to give you the lowdown. So so the cool thing about Metal Health by 1986. So three years later, that record was four times platinum. Um, it had big hits on it, like Metal Health and come on Feel the Noise. um something else on there that I'm forgetting right now. Six times platinum by nineteen ninety five. so it it kept selling through the hairband years um, and and got to be pretty big. and uh, and the second record, Basically stalled at Platinum, but Platinum is nothing to sneeze at. That is a million copies in the States, of course. Uh, and then after that, it just went downhill from there. Um, so yeah, so so the second album... Now, Condition Critical is not as bad as... Uh, you know, literally, put it this way. I mean, this is actually what I feel about this record. I mean, it is it is as good to me as the first record, because the first record is frankly not all that great either. Uh, it's got a few super standout tracks, but it also has some really kind of old goofy stuff like slick black Cadillac. Um, it's got a ballad on it, and it's got the Slade cover, which I hate. But Metal Health's great. A couple other heavy ones on there. I can't remember the names of them right now. But but um, this second album, Condition Critical, is somewhat the same sort of mix. And it does sound a little more with it and modern. Um, but it's got some super heavy songs on it as well. But it's got some some silly stuff like this and, and the Slade cover. So for the re- main reason I want to say this jumps the shark is... Uh, is basically it's doing kind of the same thing over again. All right, let's take a little break, and we will be right back. Okay, number three in our History in Five songs with Martin Popoff. I have to turn the page back to see my title again. Hard Rock Shark Jumpers. Uh, Take a listen to this. This is Twisted Sister with Be Cruel to Your School
1: about job opportunities, I'd like to continue us with sharing about the leading exports of South America. Right? We have what? Cheese balls, dust, saints, weasels. Ah! I am not trying to say that making tacos is not a God-given ability. But this was a long, long time ago, before we ever had pate and
0: all right, so this is a famous, famous, famous case of uh, hard rock shark jumping. Everybody knows this one. Um, so essentially, Twisted Sister, uh, you know, they're they're a buzz band forever. Back in 1977, when Fonz was jumping the shark, they were actually already a big club band, uh, you know, and people considered them to have a big future. That future wouldn't really pan out for them, really, until... A, they put out their first album, which is amazing. It's a classic, a masterpiece, Under the Blade. Uh, second album's really cool, too. Um, but they don't really have a huge hit album until Stay Hungry, which gives us I Wanna Rock and We're Not Gonna Take It. Pretty cool album, produced by Tom Werman, really harsh sound to it. Um, great album, you know, metalheads are all on board. Everybody's loving it. Um, but its it's got a few goofy songs here, so wondering, hmm, are these guys going to go even more kind of goofy, right? and boy did they ever because uh basically uh so that's may 10th 1984 uh november 9th 1985 they come out with come out and play so uh you know your first clue is there's some pink on the cover you know metalheads are looking at that what's going on it's got a uh it's got a die cut it's got a um a manhole cover that lifts up and I think D's underneath it. So yeah, you're thinking, Oh, fancy boys. Here we go. You know, they got their die cut going. Uh, you know, it's, it's a nice thick package. It's got a cardboard inner sleeve and everything. Um, but, and Dieter Dierks is producing. They have a falling out with Tom Werman. So the production on this, you know, it's it's Dieter in his phase. This is obviously famously Scorpion's producer. It's, it's him in his phase where um, he is taking on a little bit of an 80s sound. So there is a little bit of an 80s edge to it. So that's bothering people a little bit. But, you know, the worst thing on here is that it's got a cover of the old 60s. I think it's a girl group song, Leader of the Pack. Very annoying to all metalheads. And then they do this be cruel to your school, which just sounds like a a teeny bopper song, another we're not gonna take it. They bring in Alice Cooper to guest on it, you know, Alice Cooper school's out, ha. And it's just a horrible, horrible song, anyways. So the songs that were incessantly in every metalhead's face who who supported Twisted Sister up to this point um on MTV were the likes of be, be cruel to your school and uh, and leader of the pack and so so we're just being constantly reminded that uh, you know, Twisted sister had jumped the shark. They were they were even more cartoon character-y than usual. You know, that whole look, I think, is something that kind of held them back. I would love to do an episode one day on, uh, on David Bowie and Ziggy Stardust, and how everybody worships that record. I hate it. And everybody worships his fashion sense at that time, and, and, you know, the pioneering fashion. I hate it. I think he looked stupid in all those pictures. Later on, David Bowie is an amazing fashion icon, but at that time, I thought he looked like an idiot, and I I think the album's dumb and it, the production's dumb and I don't even like Mick Ronson, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, that's another rant. Um, I love David Bowie and I love many, many things he did, but I do not like uh, anything about that period. Well, really only Ziggy Stardust because I love Young Americans too. Uh, anyway, so so back to, uh, back to Twisted Sister. So uh, essentially what happened with these records. So um, Stay Hungry. Uh, went double platinum pretty quickly and it was triple platinum way up into 1995. Um, But, you know, the big failure is that... um this come out and play album only went gold, and then Love Is for Suckers is an even worse album. There's long story about that. detox talks about how it was supposed to be just a, um, just a uh, solo album. There was a lot of band acrimony at that point, so they were just crashing in flames, and this was one crash on on its way to the next crash. So yeah, triple platinum uh, for Twisted Sister down to gold. So. They weren't rewarded for this jumping the shark again. I was there at the time. I told you what I thought of it. Critics hated it too, Uh, and almost in every case that we're talking about here, the critics were were pretty, uh, you know, on on uh, you know on on target and complaining about these records as they should have been uh, at the time. Okay, so moving on. Number four, history of five songs. Martin Popoff. This is ZZ Top with "Can't Stop Rockin." Take a listen. All right, so what is Easy Top situation? Um, me and my uh my industry group, uh, we have a lot of time on our hands and we're <laughs> we're doing a lot of Facebooking back and or emailing back and forth. I I have, I have this group of industry people and we talk about all sorts of manners. Uh so there's a lot of emails flying around. And one of the recent discussions was uh was how good is this Easy Top Afterburner album? Some some people um were quite supportive of it. Um So what is their story? Where was ZZ Top in 1977? Interestingly enough, um, September 1977, they were just winding up this massive, massive worldwide Texas tour uh, on the backs of, uh, you know, working super hard with Fandango and my favorite uh, ZZ Top album, Tejas. They wound up uh, essentially December 31st, January 1st, 1977, and they were not heard from ever again until 1979. So they went on this famous uh, break, long story. Dusty even went and worked for a... um, For At at the airport. Um, I know all this because we did a lot of interviewing and stuff when we worked on the ZZ Top movie that just came out. I worked for Banger Films. I was story consultant on that. And uh, this was a fascinating period for ZZ Top. So they come back. uh, They come back with Degueo el loco and finally eliminator which is a very fresh new sound for them a little bit of electronics put in a little bit of r- like really rigid beats rigid sort of dance beats um you can now dance to zz top as we tried to uh, at the time in university um so they put out this album eliminator it's a massive massive album zz top just breaks wide open um eliminator comes out march 23rd 1983 it was five times platinum before afterburner even came out so zz top is riding a massive wave into this album so what did they do they jump the shark in various ways so the album cover is just a redo of the eliminator album cover they'll even do it again for recycler um but uh, but what is the record like? The record is literally you take the things that um, people hotly debated but a lot of people didn't like about Eliminator... This, this new spiffy sound, this new electronics, this new disco-y sound or dance sound, whatever you want to call it. And they hammer that five times harder. The songs are not as good, but, you know, granted, people do argue that there are some pretty cool songs on it. I mean, I think Sleeping Bag is a, is a genius song. Stages is a, is a pretty cool ballad um, Rough Boy, uh, no, sorry, Rough Boy is the ballad, I can't remember what stage it sounds like, Woke Up With Wood, eh, uh, Planet of Women, I don't think is that great, I Got the Message, Velcro Fly, so they, there's a lot of kind of crappy stuff on here, De- Delirious is one of my favorite, I believe Dusty Sings, uh, yeah, Dusty Sings, Can't Stop Rockin', and, uh, and Delirious, the song you just heard, Can't Stop Rockin', um, so, um, So this record, again, the critics complained. We complained as fans. It is essentially everything we didn't like about Eliminator um, done over and over again, hammered harder and uh and and people were looking oh look at zz's kind of like oh we 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 did so well with that one let's just do it all again i mean i remember eliminator we had a band in in the 80s called torque and uh and we refused to play any of the hits off that we only played i got the six and uh bad girl which are the two i think the two heaviest songs on the album that's probably why we picked them um but uh but you know there is some electronic stuff on there and there's 10 times more electronic stuff on this one. And then, like I say, same album cover with the recycler, same sort of sound. It was pretty darn annoying. I loved when they came back with antenna. Um, I thought things got better. That's a whole nother story. I could do a whole episode on ZZ top in the nineties and I just might. Um, but yeah, so to close off on here, um, you know, Eliminator was ten times platinum, so it's a diamond album. Nineteen ninety-six, one of the one of the biggest biggest selling albums of all time. But Afterburner, you know, granted, it went five times platinum, so it is a super crazy successful album, the most successful album we're talking about in this episode. Um, and it got to three times platinum within a year. But you know, there's a lot of conjecture that uh, basically uh, Afterburner was really living on the um, on the continued just selling over and over and over again of Eliminator it, just, it was just swept up into the whole excitement around Eliminator but yeah there were great uh you know there were great videos on this the videos were even better than the videos uh on Eliminator Sleeping Bag great video I think Rough Boy had a cool video so there you have it number four ZZ Top uh Jumping the Shark with Afterburner so moving on to our last one uh take a listen to this this is Whitesnake with Slowpoke Music Get out of the- All right, where was White Snake in 1977? So David Coverdale was essentially going solo and uh, and about to make uh, some crappy albums on way to some still kind of crappy albums with White Snake, and they would get better and better. Uh, they have this massive hit album with uh, with the White Snake album, sometimes called White Snake '87. Complicated story, took forever to make. Different players on it, guest, you know, uh, guest artists on it. Uh, But John Sykes is a big part of that album. Greatest riff of all time, some say. I'll, I'll agree with that maybe on Still of the Night. So, um, they're doing massive. Um, that album, White Snake, goes eight times platinum. They're just a massive, massive band. They're a huge MTV band with Tawny Kitting, um, in there, uh, in the videos. You know, everybody's got beautiful hair, like, like they're the quintessential hair metal band, even though they're quite a bit older and they've got this long history. Um, but the point is, is, uh, they do jump the shark most definitely. They come back with, uh, with slip of the tongue um, now you know what do they do that jumps the shark so they put on fool for your Lovin" on here a re-recording of that just like they had crying in the rain and whatever whatever the other one was uh, here I go again right um, so they do that same thing again they're doing kind of what Quiet Riot did and fool for your Lovin," I love that song on the original ready Ready and will I mean they they are now messing with perfection at this point so they basically make this coagulated thick hair metal version corporate version very corporate of uh fool for your loving there are ballads again um i can't remember the name of the ballad but anyways there's this stripper music in this slow poke music i mean it was literally uh, about that in a way. Um, but they, they are considered one of the, you know, the big stripper bands along with Van Halen and Motley Crue, and so they're making this stripper music on here. There's some kind of heavy songs on Kittens Got Claws, that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's really all a little silly at this point, and, you know, the other thing is 1989, we are late into the hair metal thing, so people are losing patience with this sort of stuff, this big corporate hair metal. And the other big problem with this is there's already all this bad blood about, um, you know, all the... Politics that went on in the band, all the cat fighting between these cats with their, uh, with their, uh, you know, big, huge, uh, teased up hairdos, right? So, so John Sykes is out the door and we've got Steve Vai in there. And Steve Vai, you know, we can complain about Steve Vai. I could even do a whole episode on him, how, um, you know, he just never suited the heavy metal genre too much. He has too much of that jokey, up-high, uh, screechy soloing to what he does. He just doesn't really fit in, even though he was Johnny on the spot in a lot of cool situations. Like, he was in Alcatraz for their second album. He was in the David Lee Roth band. So, here he is in Whitesnake. Nobody nobody is fooled. Nobody thinks he's he's like a born-in-the-bred Whitesnake or he belongs here or anything like that. It's just moving the parts around. It's kind of a super group uh and they're doing the same thing they did uh over and over again now this of course is a is a massive drop uh with white snake going eight times platinum slip of the tongue only goes platinum in the states so this is a precipitous drop uh and you know a precipitous drop is one of the things that uh to us denotes the idea of jumping the shark so there you go there's five examples like i say coincidentally that they're all in the 80s um Tell us what you think. Please go join up at the uh, at the Facebook page. We're keeping on getting more members all the time uh, that I have for this. Um, give us your comments. Give us your show ideas. Uh, you can email me at martinp.inforamp.net. You can go to martinpopoff.com where all my books are for sale there. Who do we who did we talk about here? So, uh, yeah, I have an ACDC book, uh, uh, album by album, um, of, of this series that I did. Long story, but I've got to supply those again. That's a cool hard cover with lots of Pictures. I haven't written a book on Quiet Riot his Sister's Easy Top yet. I still have about 15, 20 copies left of my White Snake book. Um, and that's it. Uh, lots of other stuff uh, over there. Um, I sign them and sell them out of my office. That is it for now. This was episode 39, a long one. I really talked fast and long here, didn't I, on this one? Hope you stuck around for it. I thought it was a kind of a cool concept. Until next time, see you later